Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast, hosted by three friends who were brought together by their heroin-addicted partners. We became each other's biggest support through some of life's toughest times. We're not licensed professionals, and nothing in this conversation is professional advice. But we hope our stories offer a glimpse into how these issues weave into our everyday lives. You're not alone. We can all get through it together. If you're listening, you probably know we met at a family support group and our bonds have grown stronger through sharing our stories and supporting each other. When we think about the thing that's helped us most, it's that. So we'd like to extend that community to you. If you're feeling like no one understands what you're dealing with, or you're looking for a community of like-minded individuals, consider joining us for our virtual support group. For details, visit recoveringto.com. We know what you're going through and we're here to help. We're Recovering Too. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boy Problems Podcast. We are excited. Today is a very special episode. We have Lizzie. She was here before with us. And we also have Jake with us today. So Lizzie is going to be our guest host for a while while Alex is gone. And Jake is here for our interview today. So welcome, Lizzie, and welcome, Jake. Thank you. Good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's jump right in, Jake. Tell us about your drug history. When did you start using drugs? Who? Uh, all the way back to the beginning. Um, normal, like experimental stuff as maybe like a 12 or 13 year old. I mean, I'd, say, I'd, I'd go all the way back to smoking cigarettes. Like my grandmother and my great aunt, a lot of like um, people in my family smoked and I was always enamored by just the whole I don't know just the it just looked interesting like even as a small child like people sitting around drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes just looked like something I wanted to do so um I'd say like as like maybe 10 or 11 I started stealing cigarettes from family members and kind of starting that hiding thing from a very early age um and sneaking beers or like little sips of liquor here and there, but never really getting intoxicated. Um, I'd say like the first time I ever did drugs was uh, eighth grade. I was prescribed Ritalin. And uh, one of my friends said that if I crushed it up and snorted it, it would get me high. So tried that out and didn't quite even understand what it was that I was doing. I just was like, well, I just want to try something interesting. So started doing that. It'd probably be, the early, early history. So, okay. So then what, so then what you do pot and drink through high school. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I kept doing the Ritalin that I'd say that was the first time I ever experienced, uh, what, what we say in the program is a phenomenon of craving where, um, maybe you do something even though you don't want to do it. So like I would stay up, for days at a time, even as a, as a teenager, not really understanding how the Ritalin was affecting me. So I would, I would do it. And then I would kind of kick myself the next day being all tired at school. And then I would come home and do the same thing. And I did not understand what addiction was or what was even happening. Um, only later on in life, I noticed, man, I think I was addicted to that shit even back in the day. So, but like high school, definitely started smoking pot, maybe 15 or 16. The, uh, the first time I ever smoked pot was with my buddy, uh, his crazy uncle, Steve. He was a truck driver. And a lot of my friends were like, hey, we got to smoke pot. We got to try this. So um, his, my, my buddy's crazy uncle, Steve, pulled up in his semi. And we went out and we were like, hey, Steve, you should get a stone. And he's like, all right. So he hands me deer antlers. And I was like, okay. And he had turned... Uh, deer antlers from a deer he'd killed into a smoking mechanism. And so I was holding the deer antlers and smoking weed out of deer antlers, which is the first time I ever smoked weed. I always thought that was weird. Wow. Memorable. Yeah. Uh, so I started smoking weed, taking LSD shortly after, mushrooms. Uh, LSD was really big in my high school, so there's a lot of people tripping at school. Uh, went from there, I guess. Okay, so then, because you you tried a rehab, like, were you getting in trouble at home? Did you have bad grades? 
Oh yeah, I had bad grades. I I hated school. Was never interested in it. I was more interested in what was happening in between classes than in classes. I you know the I was diagnosed with ADD, which I never really. I still don't know if what that even is or if it was necessary. But um, but yeah, I I just always hated school. I hated being told what to do. I hated authority. I hated sitting still for more than twenty minutes at a time. That was pretty much all school was. So. Um, I took to taking drugs at school to, I don't know, like have the day be exciting in some sort of way. And I was definitely getting in, in trouble at school, a lot of like uh, in school suspensions and detentions and stuff like that. Um, but I wanted to, but I played soccer. And so that was a big motivator to actually like try at school was just so I could keep playing. Soccer. And yeah, I got in trouble, but nothing too crazy. Like, sneak out and, get drunk and come back drunk and buddies would drop me off in the front yard blacked out and stuff like that but nothing too crazy i guess what was drugs and alcohol like at home at home well i would uh <laughs> i would hang out my window and smoke bowls like half and out the window so my parents couldn't smell and uh i don't know just taking a lot of pills those are easy because you couldn't you can't smell pills and i would pretty much just keep to myself in my room and listen to music i meant more of like your family's attitude towards oh, my family? And alcohol and well it would be it would be periodically getting caught and then you know so to speak confessing my sins and saying oh i'm so sorry i don't know why i did this i don't know i'll stop and then i would just keep going a lot of lying and um, just doing whatever I wanted until I got caught and then being super apologetic and then just doing it all over again. Yeah. Um, my parents were, I was raised really Christian. So yeah, drinking and doing drugs was not accepted at my family. So I pretty much had to keep it from everybody. So, yeah. So what, so then fast forward to college, did you go to college? Did you go to rehab? Uh, well, after high school, um, that's when cocaine came into the into the into my life, and lots of oxycontin, and, and kind of got more into, you know, transitioned into heavier drugs more repeatedly, and started drinking out of control. And the summer of the year that I graduated, I got arrested for a DUI and had a bunch of weed on me, and that was the first time I think my family was like, Oh my God, what the hell's going on? Like he's driving drunk. And uh, I was set to go to Vincennes university. The, uh, you know, the following year and ended up going, but I did not really do much school. I was uh, going to do audio recordings. I like to play music. So um, yeah, I, I don't remember going to class a whole lot. I remember I tested out of a class with a C plus just so I didn't have to go. And I, I just fucked off pretty much and got really fucked up a lot. I think that's when I started doing, getting way out of control every day. Like it was uh, the whole semester was pretty much a blur. Uh, and my college ended by getting arrested in the dorm and spent a week in the Vincennes Knox County jail. And so I pretty much got out of jail and went right back to my parents. And so I dropped out after a semester. It was a mess. So did you at that point know you were an addict or you did you feel you had a drug problem? I couldn't stop once I started. Even friends that were doing drugs and drinking would get nervous when I would start. Even the people, the, the crazy people I was using with would be like, don't black out tonight. Like, don't do all your drugs and, and, and lose your shit. So it was like even the crazy people around me knew there was a problem. But I didn't really know how to define it. I didn't know anything about a program or didn't know. I'd heard of addiction, but it was a good family. And I just thought, you know, I was going through. Yes. Okay. So then you get arrested. You're out of school. You go home to your parents. Yeah. I went home to my parents and I got arrested really quick i got arrested two more times became apparent like all right you got a problem uh friends around me knew i had a problem and even though i didn't that look like at, at the time i just was sick it's like shit man i've been on probation 
since I got out of high school. So this is, you know, I think I was 19 by that time. I'd been arrested three times. So um, my parents convinced me to go out in Phoenix, Arizona today. So that's what I did. And I know it was, it was, I don't really remember much about the rehab. Uh, I remember leaving there thinking, okay, this is my new, I'm not doing drugs anymore. I'm going to do whatever they tell me. So uh, I got back home after rehab and started going to meetings. And that's kind of the first, my first full into uh, recovery, addiction, whatever you might want to call it at the time. Um, so I ended up getting a sponsor, didn't work any steps really, went to a ton of meetings, didn't really do material. I kind of just hung out with my sponsor, went to meetings, ditched all my old friends and just I mean, at that time, I think I was just discovering who I was and like what I had a life. And I stayed sober for a year, but didn't really work any program. And eventually, I was in drinking again about a year later. Okay. So your early 20s. Yeah, I was at 20. that point. I, yeah, I was 20 and actually relapsed on my 21st birthday in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So, yeah. And after you relapsed, was there any part of you that was like, all right, I'm going to get back into recovery? Or were you just like, no, I'm done. I'm drugs and drinking. Let's go. Yeah. When I started drinking again, I said, I'm going to go find my old friends. I'm going to get right back into it. Yeah. I had no intention on ever getting sober again, really, at that point. It was something like, okay, I tried that. It didn't work. Uh, this is how I am. I'm going to try to make the best of it. Okay. So then you start drinking. Do you stay drinking for a while in pot or do you jump right back into the heavy stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, I started drinking, smoking, smoking weed. And it's not long before I started doing drugs again. And yeah, I, I'd say I got got right back into it. So so at what point did heroin come along, though? Cause like, would you say that heroin was a turning point for you or a jumping off point at all? Or Yeah, from that point, heroin, uh, I'd maybe done it a half a dozen times. It was Oxycontin was so prevalent in my high school. I was doing Oxycontin at 15, 16 years old. So um, we didn't really know what Oxycontin was at the point. It was before the whole Oxycontin boom happened. So we didn't it was very cheap and it was readily available so we didn't really see it as that dangerous um but when heroin popped up a couple times i did it i was like wow this feels like oxycontins kind of the the fear and the the mystery danger of heroin sort of went out the window so you're a kid like oh people and you do heroin and it feels like something you've been doing for years I was like, oh, okay, this feels a lot like Oxycontin. Realize Oxycontin is just synthetic heroin. And so then uh, you kind of become less, I guess. Well, and at that point, getting to a point where uh, Oxy was harder to get, was had they started yes. um, making pills more difficult? Yeah, they started fucking with uh, how the pills were. Like they were harder to inject, harder to snort. And you had to put them through all kinds of different processes. And, and they, they got really expensive. And, you know, in high school, they were, they were $5. And then within three years, they're $30, $40 a piece. And then a lot of my friends were wrapped up in, in opiates, Oxycontins, all that stuff. And so a lot of them started transitioning into heroin. So then heroin started kind of becoming more available. Um, and I, and I never, and a lot of my friends went way off the deep end. I got to see a lot of people go down the road that I would eventually go down with needles and heroin and all that stuff. But it took me a while to get to the point where I was willing to use um, syringes. So I was just snorting and drinking a lot, pretty much. So then when you met Liz, mm -hmm. we've heard the story. You had told her that you had had a problem in the past. Um, but were you doing heroin at that point when you had met Liz? No. That point, I had, I I had 
been off of heroin for probably six or seven months, I'd say. Like it was more like a year. Yeah, year and a, a year. I'm horrible at, at uh, timelines, so all this could be way off. But basically, I had been clean of heroin for you know anywhere from six months to a year. I was on Suboxone, smoking pot every now and then, uh, drinking all day every day. But I felt like, you know, hey, I'm not shooting heroin, so I'm doing great. Like me, just drinking every day was good for me. So when I met her, I was like, hell yeah, I'm doing fine. Just drinking. I got a job. Uh, I was on probation, but nothing, you know, I wasn't on any house arrest or anything too crazy. So I thought I was golden. Okay. All right. So, and then you guys get together, you move in with one another. And then, so let's kind of fast forward to when you went to rehab and you like ran away. Yeah. So we met the fall of 2010, which, so that's why I think it was more than six months because your like accident and everything was like winter of 2008, 2009. So anyway, so we met fall of 2010 and then it was like 2000. 12 or 2012 that we moved um to the area where we live now moved in together and i would say around that time like that thanksgiving fall is when i noticed for me personally is where i when i noticed things were like a little bit different like i had started working we were out of like the college town scene and so like my behaviors changed where it was like we weren't going out as much but it seemed like he was still regularly drinking or hiding like his drinking and we I don't know it felt like there were more arguments in that fall and then unbeknownst to me it would have been like that winter of 2013 that he started using heroin again and it was in August of that year that I found out And then he went to treatment. So I don't know if you want to like talk about that. Yeah. Time frame and all, but. Well, you're, I I like what you said about you, you know, you graduated college and in, in, in our early days, she's a senior in college. I'm drinking all the time. She's drinking a few times a week and she's not really getting the full spectrum of, of seeing me every day, all day. And not, and, and I think when we moved in, it started being like, oh, he's not just like having party time. This is how he lives, like drinking all day, every day. And it became something that was a problem to where I started noticing, man, if I'm going to stay in this relationship, I'm either going to have to clean up or or hide. Like those are the only two options because not, you know, I didn't know how to clean up at the time. So it, it turned into drinking more when she was gone or um just drinking a lot then we would go out and i would drink more so there there was a lot of me doing my own thing without her knowing so that was um you know that's a a a major behavior of mine is just doing whatever the hell i want and and you know whatever it's shame or just maintenance of my addiction it's i'm gonna do whatever i want and you know if you don't like it that's fine but i i valued our relationship and so i'm like well man i don't think she's gonna stick around if she knows how bad off i really am um and then when i picked up heroin again i knew i had to hide that and it was, it was one of those where i was like well i'll just do it do it for a little while i had that that like i'll just you know do it for a month and then get off but if i, I use once i'm on i'm on it there's there's no um yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run it to till it goes into the ground, basically, is what I've learned now. There's no one use for me. It's never happened. Yeah. So I know that there were um, – well, here, Lizzie, do you have any questions? Well, I was just going to say, so um, once you started using heroin, is that what then got you back into a treatment facility? Yeah, I, I used – how long would you say I used for? Like eight months. Yeah. So that time was interesting. So he had started using, I didn't know he was using, we were like, we're getting in some fights about drinking. Cause at that point was when I was starting to question, like, is there a drinking pot problem? But it was really confusing to me because like, 
he didn't necessarily match up with what in my mind I thought was an alcoholic. Um, cause he was like functioning and it was like, you know, some days he would drink a lot and other days he wasn't, or at least I didn't see it. And so even for me, I was sometimes like, well, I don't know, like maybe he's just like bad at managing his drinking when he drinks, but I don't know if, if that qualifies as an alcoholic. And we even had like some discussions about that sometimes. Um, but then St. Patrick's day of that year, he got, um, a DUI. And so it was sort of like, okay, yes, this is a problem. Oh, I remember. So leading up to the DUI, there were times where we'd be at home watching TV and it'd be like 9 PM and we'd be like, Oh, we can't watch Wait to watch this show. And I'd look over and he'd be like, falling what I thought was falling asleep and I would get so frustrated like why can't you stay awake ever for a show like we're watching this together and he'd just be like I don't know I'm just really tired and part of me associated it with like oh it's I bet it's related to the drinking too he's like and so I would be really like on alert for if he was drinking and watching him like do that and he would always be like, no, it has nothing to do with that. I'm just tired. I can't keep my eyes open. Um, and then he got the DUI and he had to do like a whole breathalyzer and ankle bracelet. Yeah. Were you already on house arrest at that point? Can't remember. Or it's like pre-trial monitoring. Pre-trial monitoring. Yes. Super expensive. Um, and I remember thinking during that time we would be watching TV and he was still falling asleep. And there was a part of me that was relieved where it was like, Oh, well, I know he's not drinking and he's still falling asleep as we watch TV. He really is tired, but I had no idea that during that whole time he wasn't falling asleep. He was like nodding out right? because he was using it. I just did not know. Right. So when I got arrested, I couldn't blame alcohol anymore. So that was the, the comfortable thing to be like, She's like, why are you so tired? Why do you look all fucked up? I'm like, oh, I'm just drunk. But then I had I had to blow into a breathalyzer. Couldn't stop using heroin. So then it became more obvious. And then since I couldn't drink, I started using more heroin and, you know, wearing long sleeves in the summer and losing tons of weight. And I'm sweating all the time, just all the. Um... But also with the losing weight things and why the drinking and pretrial monitoring all kind of played in your favor is so during this time, you know, I, he was losing weight and I noticed it, but he was also like riding his bike everywhere and walking to and from work, which was like a few miles because he wasn't driving. And so I was thinking like, oh, he's just losing weight from all this like physical activity he's now doing. And then anytime, like as he was running out of money or struggling to pay bills, the excuse of, well, my lawyer fees and court fees and the pretrial monitoring. So like that all kind of helped disguise what the real problem was um, until, until like August when it just end of July, just sort of ran out of like his excuses were not making sense, starting to pawn things. And like I caught on and it all just kind of crumbled then. Yeah, I'd say that's accurate. Yeah. All the, and like at that point, I, I had already been through heroin addiction. I knew, I knew I was screwed. And pretty much that whole eight months I was using, I would use, and then I would, I would be really high. And then I would just like, the whole time I was high, I would convince myself or, or try to like assess how I was not going to use the next day. So I'd be like, all right, I'm high right now. Okay, so I can't use tomorrow. I'm going to stop tomorrow. And every day I would go get high and then I would try to convince myself that it was going to stop. And then every day it would stack on to the previous day. And I just ended up before he knew it, I had no money. I wasn't paying my, my pretrial stuff anymore. I, I, all that stuff I said my money was going to wasn't getting taken care of because every dollar was going to drugs. So I owed rent. I owed pretty much, you know, thousands of dollars and all my money was going to dope and uh i think one day i realized i was like okay this just has to end like i it just if i don't stop it it's just gonna end uh and so 
I think I called my dad maybe. And I, ca- I called him and I said, Hey, uh, I've been using heroin again. And he was like, you know, obviously very disappointed, but my dad is a, is the ultimate optimist. So he's like, all right, we're going to get through this. All right. So thanks for telling me and all positive, like you're going to do this. Good job. Um, you should probably go tell Liz. And so I just went home and I said, Hey, I've got something to tell you. I've been, I've been using heroin and I can't really explain her reaction. It was pretty much just like utter disbelief. Like she thought there was some, I was pranking her or something like it didn't. And I kept going, well, you have to know, like I'm skinny. I'm falling asleep all the time. I have no money. My life is completely out of control. And it's all because I've been using heroin. And then it took, I'd say a week for everything to set in to where we would wake up and every morning she'd look over at me and be like, is this real? Like, is this really happening? Do you disagree? I think our, I think the timelines are a little off or confused because so my memory of the situation was the what spurred the whole conversation was the missing iPad. You had an iPad. Oh, that I, t- I yeah, kept I traded saying, it for drugs. Hey, like he had taken, I was like, where's the iPad? And he said, oh, I took it to work. I left it in my locker. And I was like, well, you need to bring that home. Like I wanted, I need to do something on it. And like three times in a row, he came home from work and like did not bring the iPad. And I was like, seriously, you have to bring the iPad home. Like this is ridiculous. Like what is going on? And finally, it was just like, I need to tell you something. And I was like, what? And he said, I've been using again. And I was like, using what? And in my mind, I thought it was going to be like weed or something. And he said, what do you think? And I was like, I don't know. That's why I'm asking you. And he was like, heroin. And I was just, I do remember just being like numb and frozen for like the next several hours. But then I remember like just laying on the floor like sobbing yeah and like crying and yell I don't even know like yelling going back and forth between just being like so sad and so mad and then it was like the next day trying to you were trying to figure out where you could go and you scheduled an appointment with the recovery center for that following Thursday and so I, I think what you're thinking of is there were a lot of times where I would just be like looking over and be like, I can't believe this. Like, is this really like true? Like, how did I not? I remember know? you asking me that like, a lot. I think I was just so confused. of Like, how did I not know for the last eight months that this was going on and like trying to like look at him? That was one. Uh, that's one thing I remember vividly when it like came out that you were using and you're like, I was like, how? And you're talking about, you know, shooting up. And I was like, but show me your arms. And you're like, finally like rolled up your sleeves and sure enough, they were like track marks. And I was just like, how the fuck did I not like, how have I been so blind to this? So there was a lot of, I think from the time you told me to the time that week later that you went into treatment, I think I was just, not that I didn't believe that you were actually addicted to heroin. It was more of like a, how is this actually happening? How did I not know? What do you do? Yeah. Sort of that's, that's, that's accurate. Yeah. So you go into treatment and I know there was kind of some up and downs and relapses with alcohol and things like mm-hmm. that. So I think maybe we should jump to kind of your most recent Mm-hmm. relapse where you had was it six months of use yeah i'd say that's give or take yeah because how many days are you how many days do you have now jake like like a hundred days yeah, yeah. oh congratulations yeah, 90 was a week and a half or two weeks ago can't whatever the day is so well that's where it, that's where it gets kind of foggy with me because there's a lot of like little runs uh, and then I would, you know, I would use a few times, not say anything, get back in the program. And like, I never really stopped working the program per se. Um, that's, that's the thing. Even when I, even when I go out, I, I keep going because I think that's, what's changed over the years is that I know, I know this is my only shot 
of living any kind of normal life is, is recovery. And so I don't, I can't convince myself to, to stop going. So I'll go to meetings high. I've been to meetings drunk. I'll use and go to a meeting because I know eventually that's what I'm going to have to go back to. So even if I'm fucking up, I still have the desire to stay sober. And so there was, there was a lot of like missteps uh, along the way. And I would use for a month and then I would tell on myself and tell my sponsor and tell Liz and then, Oh, I'm going to do better. And then I would do better for a little while. Um, but the relapses were getting more frequent and the uses were getting longer till eventually um, I found, I, I went out and used with some random strangers and got the, uh, the number for a couple of heroin dealers. And I, I mean, I already knew it was on, I'd already been drinking and smoking and stuff. So, um, it was just the, the inevitable conclusion that if, if I drink and I smoke weed, then eventually heroin's going to come into play. Like there, that's, that's the, um, that's where I, my addiction always leads. So started shooting heroin again and it got real bad real quick. And I, and I was still living at home with Liz when it was going on and I maintained my job and I was still doing well at work and I was kind of hiding it at home. Although I, I told Liz, this is that the, the first day that I used, she noticed and I lied my way out of it. I didn't even know that I noticed. I, I, (laughs) I used and I came home. I think I was just so nervous or I, I didn't know what was going on, but I came home and she goes, why are you, why don't you look me in the eye? Like you're, you're acting weird. Like look me in the eye. And I just refused to make eye contact with her because I knew my eyes were so small and I just couldn't do it. She was like, something's off with you. And I don't, I don't remember what excuse I gave her, but I think that's, she, she was at the point where she wanted to believe things were okay. So there might've been a little bit of denial or, uh, so I played into that, I'm sure. But, um, I'm trying to think of when, when it became absolutely obvious, and like how I ended up leaving the house. That's what I can't really remember. <laughs> you can't. Remember. <laughs> I mean, there's so much I shit can't. to dig through. It's I, like it's pre- pretty memorable to me. Um, we <laughs> so I would say in June. It was like mid June. Um. And the, the week leading up to it, like, I just kept having this, like, uneasy feeling that something was wrong. Um, at one point, there had been, like, a cash, cash withdrawal in your, like, bank, like, from the ATM, which you were like, oh, no, that's because I gave money to so-and-so for those concert tickets. And I was like, okay. But there were just, like, some little things that were starting to create, like, that nagging feeling. And then... Um, we were coming, we came home from a concert and we, you like all of a sudden like had been like, Oh, well, we have to get home so I can get to work at this certain time. And I was like, but you already told them that you were just going to come in late. Like I thought we were going to leisurely, you know, hang out in the city where we were at this concert and then come home. But then there was like, got to get home. And so I felt like something was weird and you were like getting ready to go to work. And I looked at your phone and there was like a text from somebody joking, well, about weed or something. And I was like, what the hell is this? And you were like, oh, it's a joke between coworkers. Like it's an inside thing. But that set off sort of like alarm. Then you were like, I got to go to work. And I just was like, this does not feel right. And he left And I waited a little while and I was like, you know what? I'm going to see if he's actually going to work. And I drove. Okay. Now I remember. And I drove to where his (laughs) parking garage was. We had the same parking garage. So I went in, his car was not there. So I called him and I was just like, Hey, where are you at? And you're like, Oh, I'm at work. And I was like, well, that's interesting. Are you parking somewhere different now? And you're like, no, same place. I was like, well, your car's not here. Oh yeah, well, that's I'm I'm on my way right now. I'm like, well, you just said you were here, and so kind of like tripped him up in this lie, and 
I had to like really pressure him. And at this point I knew for sure he was like using something, but I was like, I wanted to hear him say it. And so he's like, just tell me. And so he was like, you already know, like, you're right. I'm using. And that's when I was like, well, you can't, you can't stay here until like, you can't stay here while you're using and you need to stay somewhere else for a while. And that sort of set off the beginning of from June until uh, he went into treatment in January. Does that? Yeah, that that now? that rings accurate. <laughs> so, so do you not remember? Like, do you, did you think it was a big deal that Liz was kicking you out of the house? Yes, um, I I felt like because in the past it had always been like. If you start using again, you can't stay here. But then I would use, and then I would, when I'd get caught or telling myself or, or a combination, I would go, okay, I'm going to get sober, though. And she'd let me stick around. So Because he would get sober. It right. would be like, I, he would use, and I would find out, and then he would, like, get back on track. So right. it was not, he was never just, like, staying at the house while I was aware that he was in active addiction. Right. This one was different because I knew I wasn't going to stop. Like, I just, I was way too far down the line. And for whatever reason, I just was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to stop. There's no way I'm going to treatment. And so I was just, I, I, I wasn't fooling myself. I couldn't fool her. And so, I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but I was, I, like, I believed that eventually I would just come right back home. Like, oh, I'll get better. I'll go out and use for a month or something and I'll come back. And I, I just always had it in mind that I was going to eventually have the desire to, to stay sober again, I guess. So, yeah. But then, but then you didn't. No. And so then you, you keep using yeah. and Liz says, I'll take you to treatment, you know, that whole thing. Oh, and then you, you guys, the oh. overdose in there. Right. Well, yeah, I, I moved into a, a weekly pay hotel and, was using really hard it was really like probably one of the one of the darkest times of my life and i was using a lot and there was a lot of near what i don't even know if you would call them near-death experiences where i would just use and then i would wake up like several hours later like that kept happening and so i'm not really sure if i od'd and woke up those times but it started happening a lot where i would just wake up and three hours had been by um, and so there was, I, I had kind of been fearing for my life a bit where I was like, man, I think I, this might actually kill me. And so I would reach out to family members and ended up staying at my sister's for a while. And then she had, um, kind of convinced me to move into a halfway house or talking to Liz, talking to my parents. It seemed like a good idea. And so it's something I'd never been willing to do before. So just me fearing death. I was willing to do just about anything. So I ended up moving into a halfway house and I still like, it's hard to explain. Like I used the day I moved into the halfway house and I moved, I used probably the first week I kept using heroin and I was using uh, cocaine a lot at the time too. So then I was like, all right, if I'm going to make it in this halfway house, I have to get a Vivitrol shot to help me get off heroin. And so I got a Vivitrol shot and then just kept using cocaine. So I, I was like, the willingness was there, but not all the way. Like I wanted to want to stay clean or I don't even know how to classify it. Like I wanted it, but I, I couldn't get out of the initial stopping using phase to get any kind of clarity. So I got the Vivitrol shot, which usually lasts, you know, 30 or so days, but I was using cocaine the whole time and literally counting down the days to when I could shoot heroin again. Like I had it on my calendar. I did all the research. Vivitrol wears off after this many days. And I was so eager that I used earlier than just to test out to see if it would work. So I used maybe like three or four days before it was supposed to wear off. And then I used the next day and then I used the next day. And then I think it was like day four, uh, I was getting to go to a concert 
and I met up with my guy uh, in this gas station parking lot and I used. And then the next thing I know, I, I woke up on the ground and someone's doing CPR on me. And that, that was it. So, uh, yeah, so I overdosed and landed in jail for possession of paraphernalia, syringes and stuff. And yeah, I don't know where we want to go from that, but <laughs> <laughs> so how, um, that's a lot. So what, okay. So how did you feel? So you kept using after the OD though? Yes. Yeah. So why? Okay. Yeah, why? Why? To explain to I, as I, normal people. I have wondered the same thing because even as a, a drug addict, I would hear people tell me like, "Oh yeah, I OD'd three times in a week," and I would be like, "Okay, what the fuck?" Like, even I didn't understand that. But here's what I figured out from talking to a lot of drug addicts: is so you're using. You're using to cope with life. You're using because you know no other way and you can't stop. So then you use and you overdose. And then you wake up with the same coping skills that you had the day before. You've gained no, uh, you've gained nothing other than a near death experience, which causes trauma, fear, and a whole lot of extra emotions. So now you almost have more reason to use if that makes any sense to a, a non-addict. It's like, okay, so I'm already using, and then you wake up with extra problems. So now I have court, now I have lawyers, now my whole family knows, and there's just like more bullshit. So then I was like, man, fuck it. I, I definitely can't stay sober now. So I, the next time I used, I went back to the same guy, got the same dope, and used in the same exact spot I OD'd in. Like, it's, it's irrational. And, and it's the insanity of the disease is that's the only way I knew how to cope with anything. So that's, that's kind of how I, I explain it and the, what I've come to terms with. Why you would want to use after, <laughs> after an OD. Because I don't know anybody that you, that got clean because of an OD, not one. I've never heard of saying someone saying, well, I OD'd and then that's when I changed my life around. It's always, I OD'd kept using OD'd again, kept using then like it, it's not enough. Dying a near death experience is not enough. So then what is enough or what was enough for you then? What was the, I think for me, it was important. Um, I really did not want to go back to treatment. I just, I wanted to just avoid that whole step. It seemed like a lot of bullshit. I, I already knew what I had to do. Oh, like I had this idea that all treatment does is tell you things that I already know. I already know I need to work the steps. I already know I need to get a sponsor. I already know I need to go to meetings. So what are they going to tell me that I don't know? And honestly, I didn't learn anything more at this, at this treatment, uh, this go around, but it gave me several days where I wasn't using. And it was enough that I could just restart. And so there was a lot of times I think um, I had the willingness and the desire. I just didn't have enough days in between where I could think straight and not operate on a, on like a, you know, like an automatic using mindset. So you needed like a hard reset. Yeah. I needed like a good week where I touched no drugs, nothing. And I was completely, sur you know, when you're in treatment, you're completely sat surrounded by other people and, um, you know, I was spending a lot of time by myself. And so, yeah, treatment this time around was, was absolutely necessary. Um, and I, I, I got another Vivitrol shot while I was in treatment, which I, you know, I think was the right move. But um, Vivitrol is not enough, obviously. You got to have it with, with the program. And um, I don't even think it's mandatory. It just, for me, I knew it would be a good idea to take heroin uh, off the table as, as an option even. So I just made really, I just made a few right decisions and they opened into other possibilities where I made another small change in the right direction, which then gave me a lot of other options. So, so how, but what was the point then where you were like, cause you said for a while you were anti treatment where you were like, kept trying to convince yourself you could do it 
on your own. So then what was the breaking point where you were like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to now go to treatment. Um, okay. So I was, I was staying at a halfway house using, and I was completely out of money. I was about a few days away from getting kicked out of the halfway house. Cause I owed them so much money and I had used that work and pretty much got caught red handed. My, the, um, my way high up boss found me in the basement, pretty much like whacked out of my mind, nodding out. And I had, and they sent me, uh, go get a drug test, all that stuff. So it was, once again, it, all the walls were closing in and the time, the, the previous time that I'd spent in the halfway house, I had made some good, good strides in the right direction where, where I, I felt like, okay, I feel like I can, I can do the program the right way. I feel like, but once again, I couldn't get enough time um, not using. So I think wanting it and I don't know it. it I don't know why I wanted it more. I just was like, I, I wanted it. I couldn't, I can't really explain it. It's like, I hear people tell me, Oh yeah, I quit smoking. Cause I just had enough like smoking cigarettes. And, and I never understood that, but I, I reached a point where I just wanted it more than I wanted to get high. And, and, um, and so I moved out of the, the halfway house and Liz took me to treatment, you know, just like small changes in the right direction. Is, is all I can really say. So why, Jake, is is this the time? Is this the last sober date you're going to have? Well, I don't think there's an answer to that question. I don't, um, because I get like at this point, especially at this point in time, I'm, I'm taking it day by day. Uh, every day I, I have an opportunity to stay sober and to do the right thing and so i um especially early on dealing within within the the bounds of a 24-hour period is about all i can handle at this point so i don't like to i don't like to think too far in the future i guess right now as far as what am i going to be sober in a year am i going to be sober it's almost irrelevant at this point i'm i'm dealing with today and that's about it does it feel different so i i want it to be i don't want to use I, I have a ton of cravings. I have, you know, still like there, there's always going to be a part of me that wants to go get fucked up and throw it all away. And, and I guess getting to the point where I just live with that and hope it goes away, I guess, I, I don't know. I don't know if it all, if it goes away altogether, but um, I guess just living with cravings and some desire to use, but, doing all the right things to, to stay sober uh, on a day-to-day basis is what I'm doing now. So, okay. So you and Liz have been together for 10 years now. So how is she 10 and a half? So how is she? Oh, oh, sorry. Nine and a half. Well, for shit's sake, it's 10. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You're like my one roommate. She's like, I'm four ten and a half. And I'm like, nobody cares about the half. And she's like, when you're four ten, you care about the half. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so you guys have been together for a while. Yes. So what kind of role has she played? Like you guys broke up, but like at this point you're in the home. Like now I know the pandemic's kind of sped it up a little bit faster. Yeah. Like, I mean, there was many times when I was like, fuck this dude, like get out. Like, but I know Jake, I, I really do like you and I really do adore you, but it's like, fuck him. Like he, you know, in the treatment center, he's like, I'm fucking leaving. I'm going to go to the bus stop. I'm going to go get drugs. Like you broke up, like, mm-hmm. like fuck him. Like you guys have been doing this for too long and he's just going to piss it away. Like, I know you're an addict and all that. Like, so what, what has, what about Liz? Like, do you think about her like when you're using or like, do you think that she should just leave? I mean, I know you love her and you want her to stay. Wow. That's a, that's a, that's a lot. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to summarize it without talking for like 30 minutes straight, but like there's, there are a lot of times that I've been like, the best thing you can do in life is to just leave 
to just leave me alone. You could, you, if you left me alone, you, you may have everything you've ever wanted. I don't know. Like, I feel grateful and lucky to still have her in my life because I love her to death. And I know that we can be happy and we can uh, have the life that we want. And so, um, you know, when I'm out there using there, it's like a, a combination of poor me. This is just, you know, this is my life. I'm cursed with this disease and anyone I touch is going to, you know, get run over by it. And so she's better off with me, uh, without me. So I might as well just keep using and maybe she can just, you know, go live her life. And then there's a part of me that is like, I have to get clean for me. And if she comes back, then hooray. But there's been a lot of times I've stayed sober um, for periods of time where I just kept up the image of someone in, in sobriety to make her happy, to give her some false sense of security. Uh, I think this time I was like, I'm getting sober for me. And if she comes back and if we, we end up back together, then, then cool. But uh, this time around, she was definitely pivotal in uh, helping me get back in. She drove me to treatment. She, you know, picked me up from treatment. I talked to her every day in there. So I think more than anything, I I wonder why she stuck around that long self-deprecation or, or low self-esteem, whatever you want to call it. But um, that's her choice to make. And I'm grateful that we're still together. And I'm going to try to stay sober one day at a time. And, you know, if that answers any of the questions, I'm not sure. <laughs> There's just a lot. I, I, I don't honestly know what was necessarily going through it might have been one day i'm like well fuck her and then the next day i'm like well fuck myself and then the next day i'm like i need to get clean so she come back in my life and just a, a lot of a lot of feelings and emotions i'm sure lizzie anything from you mm, nope um i mean i'm just kind of taking it all all right so liz how does that make you feel hearing that um, I don't know. I guess it's not the like as warm and fuzzy of an answer as that one would like to hear, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I don't really, I think it's really, really interesting to hear. And, you know, like from my, my husband's perspective too, like, it's like, uh the addict's brain it's just like you're jumping around to all these different feelings like you said like fuck her oh wait no i want to be with her but no i want to do this for myself like it's just crazy those emotions that take over mm -hmm. yeah well and like in other discussions we've had i know that like i shared that during the time that we were like broken up and not talking like we didn't talk for two months maybe a little more than two months like how like just like sad i was and at one point, Jake was like, oh, I just always, like, pictured you as being mad. Like, that was what he sort of told himself of, like, oh, she's probably so mad at me. And and I was like, no, quite, quite the opposite. I mean, I was mad, but I would say the primary feeling was, like, I was just sad and, like, grieving our relationship. And I don't think he... I, well, you can speak for yourself, but I don't know if he ever actually went through any process of like grieving our relationship because he was like so fucked up during the whole time and was still only thinking about drugs. So um, that's also something that is a little, I don't know if like, well, hurtful in a way where you're like, we, which we, the three of us have talked about this before, how like we are experiencing the emotions and like real time and their raw emotions we're not anesthetizing ourselves and so we remember like every part of it and then it can be a little bit like are you kidding me like you don't remember these feelings or you didn't really feel them as deeply um can be frustrating i guess yeah the, so we we've we've definitely talked about that where I, I remember, you know, picking up the phone. I was like, well, I'm just going to call her and see how she's doing. And then I go, oh, I don't want her to yell at me. She's probably just so mad. 
And and I just pictured her. I don't know if I that gave me the excuse to not call her or something, but in my mind the whole time it just had her that my imagination had worked it up that she was just pissed off at me. And every time I called her, she was just going to yell at me or something. And then we did have a conversation where I was like, I said something like, well, I was just afraid you were mad. And she was like, well, uh, I was mainly just sad and crying a lot. And I was like, Oh, well, that's much, much worse than, than I had imagined. <laughs> well, damn. And then it did give me like insight into like, I had imagined like her just sitting around being like, Oh, I can't believe this, you know, but really she was just sad and lonely. And I was like, man, I'm, yeah, that would have been much harder to take. And so maybe it was just like a weird coping mechanism or I don't know, but yeah, that was, that was hard to hear. And these are all feelings that I think I'm processing now, but in the moment, my whole, my whole purpose in life was getting high and staying high and everything that came with it. It was almost, I didn't even have time a lot of the time to worry. I had so many moving parts in my life just to get high how, how, do, how do I keep my job how do I stay at the halfway house and use you know every day and there was just like all at it's sad but there was almost no room to think about anyone else other than myself yeah it's definitely a selfish disease oh, for, sure. for sure so Liz why have you stayed I know we've had this conversation yeah um well, because because if people, I mean, listening to the story, if people are listening to this, like, I know you, I know Jake, like, I know you two together, but like, people would probably think you're crazy because at this point, you guys are not married. You are just a girlfriend, mm-hmm. just boyfriend. Like, it would be very easy. The house, you know, he could take his stuff, get his stuff out, and done. Yeah, um, I think in this like hour that we've been talking you know we've highlighted all of the really bad times and so when you hear all of that in one thing it's like oh my gosh like sounds terrible and it's a lot of negative shit happening um but we didn't include like any of the like the good times and within our nine-year relationship like I would say the total time well the majority has been good and Jake has been in recovery and we've had fun and we've traveled and gone to concerts and um other than this past year I would have said like the negative effects of his addiction were like I don't know five percent ten percent of the year I'm not sure what kind of percentage you would say but like um and then you think well like in any relationship you're going to have the bad and the good and it's like what outweighs it I think just with addiction when it's bad it can be really really bad and we've seen that in the last year that there's been a lot of bad um but I don't know. It doesn't take, I can't just like forget about all the good. And like, I know like who Jake is as a person other than the addiction and like his values and the, like all the times we have together. And so it's like hard to just throw that away. And like, when you can see the potential in somebody and you can see that they're wanting to be clean, like, nobody chooses to be an addict, like, and probably wouldn't wish that disease on anybody. Like, so I don't know if if that makes sense, but. Well, it's, um, I think I've spent most of my life, um, you know, living in addiction and being like, I'm never going to have a normal life. And then I meet Liz and she inspires me to be a better person. And then I get, I give myself glimpses of what a better life can look like. And then even though I've gone back, you can't unlive the good as well. And then to have somebody that's willing to take a risk on your potential is, is like unreal to have someone that say, I know what you're worth. I know what you can do. Let's go with that. And, you know, anybody with a, with a shitty past with, 
would agree that it's like, you know, it's a beautiful thing to have somebody say, I know you're, I know what you're really worth. And, you know, that's enough to, to build something. So. That's freaking sweet. <laughs> I'm very <That's> lucky. Very... <laughs> okay. I mean, I know we've kind of talked and Jake, you've had, thank you for being so open and so honest and so forthcoming with all this stuff. Is there anything, Lizzie, do you have any more questions? Nope. I would say, do you want to do a quick check-in for right now today? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, is there anything, Jake, you have that you want to say? Before I would taking... have one question that we, I would want to ask. Just, um, I'd be okay. curious. I feel like I have some idea of what he might say, but for family members, loved ones who are listening, any things in your experience that, you know, like your family or that I have done where you feel like that's enabled your behavior or has not been helpful or like, what are the things, what would you tell somebody they should do if they're, if they're wanting to try and get their loved one into recovery or. Uh, well, this is not going to be a fun answer, but I believe it to be the truth is the pain has to be great enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes to stay sober. So alleviating the pain of a using addict is going to elongate the process. So if you're, if you have a son or a boyfriend or a husband and, and you're helping their pain in their addiction, you're just making it harder. Um, so I always say that the pain that you're watching your loved one go through, that is what's going to inspire them uh, to get better. So I know as a loved one being like, I want to make him feel better. I want to, he's hungry. I'm going to give him $40 so he can go eat. Um, How many times that your parents gave you money for food? Did you actually use it on food? Never. <laughs> I, this is, this is a, this is not a joke, but I said this in, in treatment during a family, uh, a family therapy session, someone was like, what, a, what's any advice on like, how can I take care of my son when he's using? And I said, canned goods. If he's hungry, give him canned goods and see the reaction. And if he gets pissed and asks you for cash, then you knew you did the right thing. But like giving cash to a, a using addict out of the question, gift cards, any kind of electronics, you're enabling them. So I, I don't have any kids, but I'm trying to imagine watching a friend or, you know, a family member go through it. What I would do is I, and, and you, you have to let go of control uh, as much as the addict does. You can't get, you can't get them sober. You can't keep them sober. Um, the program, a higher power and, and the pain has to get great enough. So, I, I mean, I say that from my perspective because I've never had to necessarily watch someone else go through it. But um, unfortunately, pain is the motivator. You have to, to hate it enough to do anything to get rid of it. So. Cool. It's kind of All bleak, right, Jake, <laughs> Well, you're welcome to stay for the check-in or you can take off. I'll hang out. Thank you. Thanks for having okay. me. I hope to be back <laughs> I hope you come back at like 200 days and then 365. Yeah. I'll, I'll think, I'll think forward for you. Well, you stay one day. Thank you. <laughs> uh, all right, Lizzie, what is your check-in? Oh yeah. One thing I did want to say real quick, what Jake said. So when he was saying pain, I feel like we as a family group talk about um, consequences. So giving them the consequences, I just kind of wanted to bring that up. Um you know, where we're creating consequences. So we're not, like you said, giving them money. So then there's a consequence. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just really important. Um, just wanted to say that. So, um, but as far as a check-in, um, you know, things are going good in June. It'll be a year for Drew being sober. So that's awesome. Um, being stuck home right now with, you know, little kids um, has made me lose my shit a lot. And so I think instead of keeping it all together, I've been a lot more real. So we've had a lot of like more conversations where I'm not like dancing around. I just say it how it is. Um, so I think that's been a really good um, thing for us. Um, I still do counseling. I haven't 
done it actually in six weeks. So this is the longest I've gone. Um, I do want to do it. And I think it would be really good to do it with him. Um, do like a check in with us too, with my counselor. She kind of pulls a lot more out of both of us. So, um, but as far as that, you know, it's, it's been tricky because he isn't going to meetings, which is crazy. Um, but the nice part is he does have a, a best friend who um, is a priest and works with him. And that's kind of been um, through God, like that's kind of his, that's his higher power. And that's something that's been helpful for him. So, yeah, so doing pretty good. That's good. good. Yeah. yeah. I feel for you guys with kids at home because, I mean, that would be a lot. I can't really complain too much here. It's actually been kind of a nice, like, break from the world. Uh, Jake and I were talking about this the other day where we feel like we're in, like, this little bubble and it will kind of be weird, like, trying to re-enter into, like, normal life again. So, um, I would say here things are going pretty well. I'm keeping up with our family group. We've been doing the Zoom meetings. Jake has been yep. doing Zoom meetings and talking to people on the program and reading the big book over the phone with his sponsor. So, um, and I'm still been doing like the virtual meetings with my therapist. So I think, you know, we are both still trying to do things to take care of ourselves and work on our recovery and I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying the slower times, but I do miss people in person. Yeah, for sure. Me too. All right. What about cool. you, Elise? Everything going okay? <laughs> yeah. yeah, everything's going okay at home. Steve's doing some home product uh, projects. We're both still working, but we're taking the kids to daycare. So that's nice. Uh, so we're definitely not bored, which is nice. I think I need to check in with my mental health more. I should do another counseling appointment. Um, very happy I'm on depression medicine right now or was taking it before. So it, it's, it's a hard mental time. I'm very outgoing person. I like to talk to people. I like to be in front of people. Um, so it's, it's been difficult. So I'm trying to call friends, do Zoom meetings, like, everybody's sitting in their driveways at night like I'll go sit out my driveway like so it's just making sure that I stay real with myself and check in with my brain good good reminder for everyone yeah yes yes all right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning into this episode interview with Jake. Uh, if you have any questions for Jake or any of us, please let us know. We will be back next time with Lizzie. We'll have a very fun conversation with her and uh, keep coming back. Thanks for tuning in to Boy Problems Podcast. If you enjoyed today's discussion, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this episode. Find us on social media, and if you have questions or ideas for topics, email us at hello at boyproblemspod.com.